0: Well, good morning. All right. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Thank you so much for joining us here in person, socially distanced, and mask wearing, and for joining us online. Thank you for doing that. Good to see you guys. and looking forward to engaging with you throughout this process. If you want to hit a heart or a comment, be glad to engage with you on that. Um, And if you're here, I can't see your full faces, which is fine, um, so I can't tell if you're smiling or upset, and maybe that might be good, um, but if you can help me out again this, this week, uh, if, you, if anything is connecting with you, or if you want to, you know, if you're resonating with something, a little head nod is good, maybe a little virtual fist bump is also fine, whatever, whatever is good for you and works for where you are, help me read uh, where you're at, that'd be awesome, but thank you for making the time to be here uh, this morning. Well, I want to begin by asking for your help with something else. Can you take a minute in your own mind and heart and imagine who of the people are in your life that have most influenced you? Take a minute and think about who are the people, maybe it's family members or faith leaders, coach, teacher, someone around you who's been close that have most influenced you, who you would say would be in a way a leader in your life. You know, for me, I have several people that come to mind, and and, um, when I was younger, growing up in the Caribbean, we had a missions team come from Lancaster Bible College to Barbados where I was, and on that team was a certain uh, young man named Rich, and Rich took an interest in me and just spent time with me and really built into me in an amazing way, just encouraging me to see the world maybe a little bit differently and encouraging my own like flagging self-esteem at that point and building me up a little bit and investing in me in that way. I won't actually forget this either. I don't think I've ever told my wife this, but there was actually, there was another young adult on that team. She was in her mid twenties or whatever. And she said to me, she said, you know what, Tim, when you come back from Barbados, as I was a 13 year old boy with a tan, nice little surfers, like haircut thing going on with a little bit of a Caribbean accent. She's like, you're going to be a little heartthrob in your high school when you come back. Right. Now, I can't tell you weekly in my marriage that that comes up. I mean, Jen is just like, you're such, no, anyway. But there are people in our lives who say things about us or, or move us in certain directions, whether it's people we listen to musically, uh, our favorite artists, uh, our favorite writers, our favorite speakers, maybe our favorite politicians, our favorite um, activists, people who end up helping us to shape the world in which we live. And this is true of all of us, that I think what happens with is this, that leaders help us to see our world at its best. Leaders help us to see our world at its best. And the the catch with this is that leaders, your leaders and my leaders, help me to see my world at its best. It's, It's our world. So my The people who have shaped me to how I think politically, how I think theologically, how I think relative to family and relationships are different than the people who shape you. And so one of the best ways for me to get to know you is to learn who have you been shaped by? Let me hear your story. Who are the key thinkers and people who have impacted you? And I'd love to hear that. It's an incredible way because your world and my world are shaped by the people who have poured into us. That's what leaders do, whether formal or informal. That's what happens. But the catch is, the catch is, they form our world. And even though we live together in this world, in this community, my world and the way I see this community, my world can be very different than your world, even though we live in the same world, right? Because the way that I've been raised and the people who are built into me are very different than the people who are built into you. And in times of crisis and in times of difficulty, we can tend to elevate our leaders to places of unhealthy positions to think if only you would listen to the people that I would listen to, you could see the world that the way I see it because the world that the way I see it is right. It's good. I've been influenced by people who have been good people. And if only you could see the world the way I see it and I'm elevating my leaders to the point where I want you to follow the very leaders that I follow because who we follow, who we follow determines where we go. We know this is true. Who we follow determines where we go. Who you follow determines where you go. That's just the way the world works. And in this series called Deeply Undivided, there's a subtitle that I really believe in that says there's a world in which differences deepen us rather than divide us. That world, I am convinced, exists, especially, and I'm speaking especially to people who call themselves Christian. If you call yourself Christian, I am convinced, I'm convinced, as hard as it may be, there is a world where differences deepen us rather than divide us. But here's part of the key. Who we follow determines where we go. It's really that simple. Last week as we began this series, we talked about from Psalm 121, keeping our eyes up to where our help comes from. And then we saw that not only is this true in the Old Testament, but it's also true in the New Testament. That just like in Moses' day in Numbers, we read there that when the people of Israel were going through a, a difficult time where God sent venomous snakes among them, he put a, a bronze altar of a snake up and said, look up and you'll be healed. And then John, when he described Jesus' work on the cross in John chapter 3, he said, you know, just as Moses raised this snake up, so all who looked up were healed. This is what Christ's work on the cross does, and I invited us last week to, to look up. And it begins by looking up at the cross, looking up at that mount, at Mount Calvary. Now, today, I want to talk a little bit about a different angle, about what does it mean to be a people who are deeply undivided, and I want to talk about the impact of leaders in our own lives and the way that we can put leaders in context, because if we can't put the people who shape us in proper context, we're going to end up elevating people to a spot where they shouldn't be. We're going to end up creating division that shouldn't exist, and it's going to feel very natural and normal because we see it happen all the time. What I want to do is not just tell you my ideas about it. I want to go back in time to when the Apostle Paul walked the earth, a follower of Jesus, one who came to to understand who Jesus was. Later in his life, after he had persecuted the church for a while, he wrote a letter to a young church in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians, chapter one, and we're going to go through verse three or chapter three. Paul writes to a church that is struggling with division. So if you have a Bible with you, you're welcome to turn there. If you don't, that's no problem. You can grab the, the Bible in the pew near you, or you can just look up here. I'm going to have the verses on the screen here this morning. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul begins writing to the church in Corinth, and he puts it this way. He begins, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the basis of his appeal, on the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to appeal to you, friends, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Can you see what's on his mind here in verse 10? Look, I want all of you, I want all of you to agree, I want no divisions among you, I want you to be perfectly united. Does anyone know a world where that exists? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I mean, this is this is he this is a big ask. He's he's appealing, he's inviting, he's saying brothers and sisters. He's coming coming warmly. He's not coming in as an enemy, he's not coming um, to condemn, but he's coming strong and clear. And he's going to come offensively in a minute to the church in Corinth, but he's still coming with love, even though he's coming with strength. He's like, I'm going to appeal to you. I want that all of you will agree, no divisions, that you can be perfectly united. Now to fill out Paul's theology, he does not believe that everyone who sits in a church or everyone who calls themselves a part of one church needs to agree about every little thing. You can't take one verse that Paul wrote and say that covers all of his thinking on this topic. It it doesn't, excuse me. It doesn't. Paul gives room for people to disagree about smaller things. What he's appealing to here is that there is a world that exists where we should all agree if you call yourself a Christian, and that that ground is ground that you should keep fighting for. Don't give up that ground while you are allowed to have differences on non essentials. Please, young church, I appeal to you on the basis of, on the basis of, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree with one another on that basis, coming from the gospel, coming from understanding and rallying around who Jesus is. This is our ground that we share. So he goes on in verse 11 and he says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have tattled on you. So my version says, (laughs) have informed me that there are quarrels among you. There are people who live in Chloe's house, maybe you guys gathered in Chloe's house last week if you remember, and you guys started arguing. And they came and they told me about it. Guys, I just need to talk to you. This isn't, this isn't good. This isn't what we want to do. Brothers and sisters, come on, I'm still affectionate here. I care about you. But you're starting to argue. And and what are you arguing about? He goes on and explains it in verse 12. What I mean, he says, is is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas, or, or Peter. And still another, I follow Christ. This is the basis of their argument. I mean, hey, I follow Paul, Paul taught this and Apollos taught that and Cephas, Peter, he taught that and others are backing up like, you guys are just following the scrubs, I'm following Jesus and he said something else. And there's arguing about who in the world they should follow. But think about it for a minute, just think about this reality of the early church. These people in Corinth, they would have met Paul and Apollos and Cephas and Peter. They would have probably had a relationship with these people, just like you have a relationship with the people who have most influenced you. Just like the person you may have thought about a few minutes ago when I started this whole exercise. Who's close to you? Who has most shaped you? Yes, there may be some national leaders or international writers, or maybe some musicians who you like to listen to, but ultimately they're family members, they're coaches, there's teachers, there's people who you have experienced, who you shared some of life with, who've impacted you. Paul would have done that with some of these people, but some would have experienced Apollos and not Paul. And some would have experienced Peter and not Apollos. And so they're coming from their own worldview. Well, I experienced him and he would have said this. Well, I experienced him and he would have said this. Well, I, and then, and our world is shaped by whom we encounter. And Paul is saying, guys, come on, there's something more here. Some of you are saying, I follow me, Apollos, Peter. And then he asks this key question in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul, and he's speaking in the third person, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? That's a great question. Was Christ the one who originated this division? You know, the division that you're experiencing in the church, you're quarreling. Is this something that Christ, before he left, he's like, here's what I want you to do. Spread the good news to all people. Go and make disciples of all nations. By the way, make sure that you splinter your churches in the process and quarrel about who can agree on whatever. But, you know, did Christ originate this division? He's saying, no, no, he didn't. Now, I remember uh, maybe two weeks ago when I wasn't here, Adam Nagel, director of the factory ministry, spoke, and I really enjoyed listening to him. Uh, don't tell him that, though, okay. Um, what, what, one of the things he said that really hit me, and I enjoyed hearing and was a challenge to me, he said, if you're not offended by the gospel with some regularity, you may have too small of a gospel. Like, That's good. That's good. In other words, if I'm not offended, if I don't come engage with the gospel and have it correct something and in a way rebuke and teach me thing that I may have too small of a gospel and right now what Paul's going to do I'm stopping this story at chapter one the middle of it through chapter two and then I want to jump into chapter three he continues this narrative of writing to the church in Corinth brothers and sisters people that he's affectionate toward he cares about them but he is about to offend them he's about to be very direct with them And I want us to sit in that chastisement for a minute. I want us to sit in that offense for a minute. I want us to engage with maybe we too should be offended by what Paul is about to say. Chapter 3, I'm going to pick it up here in verse 1 because again he writes, Brothers and sisters, still affectionate, but he is strong. He says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly mere infants in Christ I gave you milk not solid food for you were not yet ready for it indeed you are still not ready how would it feel to start to get that letter dear church I would have loved to address you as spirit-filled Christians but you're not living like it so you're not ready for the deeper things right now I wish you were but you're not and he goes on, verse 3, he says this, You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, and this is the evidence of your worldliness. He's saying, when I look at you and I see you being jealous, I see you arguing, are you not worldly? In other words, what difference has the gospel made in your life? How are you living any differently than someone who doesn't, have ha- has not had an encounter with the cross of Jesus Christ? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? This is hard. I would prefer a way to smooth this over so that we don't have to confront the possibility that we are also in this category. But I need this to hit me personally, and maybe you need this to hit you. That if we're not offended by the gospel, it's possible that we have too small of a gospel. What he's saying here, the chastisement is strong. He's just basically saying, guys, you're just, you're immature. Like if you're quarreling and fighting about who you're following, and you're not even talking about following Christ, but talking about following these other people. Guys, how are you any different than those who have not encountered Jesus Christ? When you introduce division into the church on the basis of something other than an essential about Jesus Christ, when you introduce division into the church because you're quarreling about leaders whom you have elevated up to a position that only Christ should have, this is immature and you aren't ready for the deeper things of the faith. That's what Paul is saying to this church in Corinth. You guys, he's saying. You're elevating the people that you appreciate. You're elevating the people who have influenced you. You're elevating the people who have helped create your world. And I get it. I get it. And he chastises that view. He puts it up puts a target on it. Says, this isn't right. He asks in verse five, he says this, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? They're, they're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each his task. He's saying, these people, put them in context for a minute. They are servants of Jesus Christ. It's almost like if you imagine the mountain pass, and last week I invited us to look at the journey of life like a mountain, because Psalm 121 invites that. I, look, I bring my eyes up to the mountain, Where is my help come from? If you imagine the journey that you're on as you're, traversing this great mountain pass, there are people along the way who are good at doing certain things. Maybe someone is good at forging the river. Maybe someone is good at building the campfire. Maybe someone is good at, you know, building the tent for you to, to, you know, to sleep at night or whatever. And someone is good at whatever, scaring the bears away. I don't know. But each has a role, but you don't want to take that one person who can help you forge the river and say, now they are the ones who are at the top of the mountain. No, they had a role to play along the path. Like they were very helpful to you. They were ahead and there's good reason to enjoy good leadership. They're just a step ahead on the path, but they're not at the top of the mountain. They're servants along the way. Don't elevate lest you create division, he's saying. And then he goes on into verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is the north star for Paul. This is where he wants us to keep our eyes up to. We, we must keep our eyes up there, he's saying to this church. And then in almost a benediction kind of format, in a closing kind of way, at the end of chapter three, he summarizes it up for this, summarizes it for us in this way. He says, so then and this is what I appreciate, of all that I've said, he said, so then, so then, a couple things, so then, no more boasting about human leaders. No more boasting about human leaders. That is really simple. Just stop that. No more boasting about human leaders. What's he saying there? That underneath, and check this out, underneath our boasting, when I boast about the people who most influence my political thinking, When I boast about the people who most influence my faith thinking, when I boast about people who most influence my worldview, what I'm saying is underneath that, believe it or not, there's a pride that I have that I'm wise enough to see the world in a better way than you do what I'm doing is I'm using them, and there's this underlying pride that my natural tendency is now an exclusive worldview. These are the people who've created a perfect world. These are the people who are creating a world that is worth looking at. I'm going to boast in them, and all it is is an extension of my pride into them, that I am wise enough to see that the Republicans are always right. I'm wise enough to see that the Democrats are always right. I'm wise enough to see this is the right response to the pandemic. I'm wise enough to see that this faith leader had a great video. I'm wise enough to see that this person wrote an incredible article. I'm wise enough to see, and I wish you could be wise enough to see it too. Maybe someday for you, you can see that. It's simply an extension of my pride that I boast in that. He's saying no more boasting in human leaders. Church, stop doing that, he says. Stop doing that. You're elevating servants to a role they don't have they're with you on the journey up the mountain, but they are not at the top of the mountain. Don't put your eyes that far up on them. It will only create division. It'll only create division. And when we do that, we divide what Christ never meant to have divided. And then he goes on, and this is even more challenging for me. He says, all things are yours. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. I want us to pause on this for a minute. What in the world does he mean? (laughs) What in the world does that last phrase in yellow mean? If you had a minute to look at that and read that, he says it this way All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. What are you saying, Paul? What in the world is that? What is going on? This is so helpful to me, and so profound and challenging in my worldview. I wanted to pause. It is difficult at first to understand what do you mean? Back this one up from the end to the beginning. He's saying that Christ is of God. Right? In other words, God and Christ share this trinitarian relationship. God, Christ is of God; He is a part of the trinitarian relationship. Christ is God in this sense that Christ is of God, and we know theologically that God through Christ has created the world. We just know that it's in Colossians, it's in John. We understand that that is through Christ God created all that is both the the created world and even the ideologies, the truth that exists as principles, things that we know to be true about how our world works, that Christ is of God, that God through Christ created all that is. Also, if you believe in Jesus Christ, back it up one more phrase, what he's saying is, you then, you then are of Christ are a part of Christ, just like Christ is a part of God. In this sense, you get to experience the fullness of what truth is, because God, through Christ, created this world, and all that is true, all that is true is in Christ, and all that is true is in God. You believers are now in that. You are of Christ. You get to experience all that is true. Back it up even further. So whether whether it's what Paul has to say, or whether it's what Apollos has to say, or Peter, or Cephas, or the world, anything about the world, anything about how life works, or death, or the present, or the future. In other words, all the things in this world that are true belong to the nature and characteristic of God. And God, through Christ, has created it all. You are a part of that family, so you can experience all that is true from a variety of, of different voices because the democrats believe it or not have truth the republicans believe it or not have truth someone who you disagree with believe it or not may have truth that all truth is God's truth and doesn't belong to a political party, doesn't belong to a Christian denomination, doesn't belong to one writer or speaker and not to another. All truth, wherever it is found and by whomever speaks it, all truth, because this world has been created by God through Christ, all truth is yours. And so if you're going to say, That I'm only of Apollos, I'm only of Paul, and I'm only of Cephas. You are only allowing yourself to experience a small portion of what is true. But all truth is in Christ. All truth is in God. There is a wideness to how we can understand what is true. And this is what Paul engages. As Gordon Fee put it this way, he said, that being of Christ is being free from the tyranny of one's own narrowness. Being of Christ is being free from the tyranny of one's own narrowness. When our leaders, when the people that we look up to, the world that has been created by our leaders' experience, the people we read, the people we listen to, the people we engage, when we are focused on a slice of this world, listen to those who have our same persuasions, the people we respect... There's a tyranny about, I must defend, I must defend my worldview. I must defend it. There's a tyranny and an urgency to it. In fact, this weekend, one of my friends was talking about their view of, of politics, believe it or not. It's hard to believe that came up these days. He made this comment. He said, well, if there even are Christian Democrats, then this, this, and this. I thought, wow, I don't know. There might be at least one. Right, and maybe there's one Christian Republican. And I thought, what a narrow, what a narrow slice of the world that he's allowing himself to see. I love the way Tim Keller, pastor of the church in, uh, former pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York said, he he said, there there is no left or right, there is no red or blue, Democrat or Republican, Christian. Christians historically have valued at least four things that are on either side of the aisle. Christians have valued social, and racial reconciliation. They've valued uh, taking care of the poor and poverty. They've also valued um, sex within the context of marriage and family engagement that way. And they've also valued the sanctity of human life. And you take a look at one set of those beliefs and you say, well, that's far left. And you look at the other side and say, that's far right. And you say, well, this is, this is Christian. That all truth, regardless of where it comes from, All truth, regardless of where it comes from, is God's truth. And Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, you have lost sight of where truth comes from. It doesn't just come from the leaders that you have elevated. It isn't just Paul or Apollos or Cephas. All truth, you are of Christ. Please be free from the tyranny of your own narrowness and the need to defend your own worldview. And if you're not offended by the gospel, then maybe we've created too small of a gospel to begin with. Let me go back to this. Who you follow determines where you go. Who you follow, and you know this is true in your own life, it's true in my life. Who you follow determines where you go, determines the world that you see, the people that you listen to, the persuasions that get developed deep within your own heart. Who you follow just determines where you go. I want to encourage you. If who you follow, if who you follow causes unnecessary division within the church of Christ, then you are likely out of balance. This is what Paul said to the church in Corinth. You're just not ready yet for the deeper things. Please don't be divided unnecessarily. Have this broader worldview. A couple of practical things I want to suggest, and I want to wrap it up. I want to encourage you this week. This may be easy for some, it may be hard for others. I want to encourage you this. Oop, hold on. Somehow I got my slides mixed up. There we go. I want to encourage you this way. Two. Hold on. There we go. This is magic. There it is. I want to encourage you to listen to someone that you have never listened to before. I want to encourage you to listen to someone that you have not listened to before. If you typically get your news source from here, I want to encourage you to at least read an article from over here. If you typically only talk to these people, I want to just encourage you, listen to someone over here. I want to encourage you. Listen to someone. You don't even have to agree. I'm not telling you to agree. I'm not even telling you to change your persuasion. I'm just asking you to listen. I'm just asking you to read differently. I'm just asking you to consider if all truth is God's truth. Is it possible that there is truth that comes from a variety of sources? If I am of Christ and Christ is of God, that I don't need to have a tyranny of pursuing my own narrowness in my worldview. I want to encourage you this week. Listen to someone that you ordinarily would not listen to. Not defend, not argue against. Just listen to, listen to. Question I want to have you ask, can you critique your favorite leader? Can you critique your favorite leader? And I was talking with someone else recently and they made the comment to me. They said, you know what? I had, a, um, I had an article that uh, was helpful to me and I shared that with them. And they said, you know, I don't, I just don't read that because one time they critiqued the president. Like, Okay. I don't care if the president is Republican, Democrat, red, blue, pink, green, or whatever. If we can't critique the leaders, myself included, if we can't critique even the people we respect, then we have pushed beyond what is healthy. If we can't allow all of our leaders, all of them, to be critiqued, we may have created a tyranny of the narrowness of our own worldview. I wanna ask you, can you really critique your favorite leader? I wanna remind you and encourage you this, that all truth, all truth is God's truth. No matter where it comes from, there is a wideness to the truth of God. Now, finally, I'll say this. As we think about what we do, here's what I love the way Paul put it as he wrapped up. He, he said this later in 1 Corinthians. He encouraged the church in Corinth as they were trying to figure out who do I follow? What do I do? He put it this way. He said, here's an idea. Why don't you follow me as I follow Christ? If you're going to be so stuck on following me or following, what, following Apollos, follow Cephas, I want to encourage you. If you're going to follow me, I'm taking you to Christ. If you're going to follow me, I'm taking you to Christ. And you're going to have people following you. Take them to Christ. Take them to Christ. Don't take them to your favorite leader. Don't take them to your favorite author, your favorite musician, your favorite family member. Those all are helpful people who serve a role along the path of life. I'm not diminishing their value. People have had incredible value to me. They're gifts to us. Please hear me. But take them to Christ. Take them to Christ. Take them to the hope of the gospel. Take people to where the North Star really is, to where hope really lies, that our world and your world and my world can be deeply undivided, not because we all agree on every little thing, but because we understand at the foot of the cross, the foot of the cross, there's a common ground that Christians, we're Christians, right or left, pink or green, up or down, backwards or forwards, we're Christians come together, and say, we are of Christ and what a gift of grace it is. So follow me as I follow Christ. That we will not have unnecessary division within the church. That the church can be following Christ no matter what. Next week, I want to talk to you about why this was such an important idea for Jesus. And get into his very words and his prayer for you and a prayer for me as part of the church today. Look forward to that conversation next week. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be here this morning to engage in an early church struggle of elevating leaders beyond where they really should be. I pray for us as we wrestle with these issues today of a different nature, of a different era, a different quality. Uh, We are primed. We are primed for judgment of our neighbor right now. We are primed to fall in love with our own thoughts we're primed to be loyal to our worldview. We are primed to vilify those on other sides of almost everything right now. Father, I pray for Christians who hear this message, for those who call themselves Jesus followers, that you would help those people to keep their their eyes up to where their help comes from. Keep their eyes up on the cross. Keep their eyes up to see that all truth, all truth, wherever it comes from is God's truth, that there is a value in listening, that the law of Christ is the law of love. As we learn to love even those on other sides, those who disagree, that we may find not that our own persuasion necessarily is even changed, but that our compassion and love is deepened. That we can care for one another well, even in the middle of differences. Because that is part of the uniqueness of the new community of faith that Christ came to found. So I pray that you give us the courage to confront the gospel and allow it to offend us wherever we might need. That we can be people who are changed and moved by the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks for being here this morning. Online viewers, thank you for tuning in and watching this morning. Um, And we will look forward to seeing you all next week, nine o'clock here at Grace Point Church. For those in the building, I'm going to mask up here as well. If we can give ourselves, as we dismiss, if we can give ourselves social distance to get outside, and then if you'd like to engage with each other outside, that is how we will do it. Still trying to maintain social distance outside and honoring each other with, with these things. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Good to see you here. Take care.